Hello again, everybody. This is John Norris, your host of Train Perspectives. And as always, we have our co-host here, Sam Clement. Hey, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm even doing better knowing that we're actually gaining some um, listenership, I guess you would call that. And yeah, it's grown a little We're bit. getting a lot of uh, positive feedback, actually getting some emails coming in. And people continue to want to kind of push, have us push the envelope a little bit, maybe talk about some more politically sensitive topics, which, you know, I've told you we need to try to avoid as much as we possibly can. Well, it looks like we're going to have to steer that way a little bit. We're going to have to steer that way a little bit. No, we're not going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh or anything like that. What we are going to talk about is trade barriers and trade wars and potential for trade wars and what this will mean to the overall global economy. Sam, your thoughts on that? I think that's a good topic, especially with the new new version of NAFTA, USMCA. Yeah. I think and, it's good timing for this. Well, I, I think it's good timing, too. And, you know, obviously there's a little bit of an age difference uh, between you and me. But I can tell you that ever since I've been in the industry, um, the the thought process, the, the mantra, if you will, is free trade, free trade, free trade, free trade, free sure. trade. And theoretically and actually academically and intuitively, this makes sense. I mean, it certainly does. More trade is better than no trade, and the more, more trade you have, the greater the flow of information, let alone goods and services. Sure. Uh, means greater overall levels of economic activity. Well, I don't think many people would disagree with you. I mean, you would think they would or they would not? They wouldn't. Well, of course not. Of course, How could they possibly argue with that? Trade is good. No trade is bad, right? Right. So free trade should engender more trade. So that's that's why we've been preaching it for so long. That's why we had NAFTA. That's why the EU trades freely with most countries around the world, or a good number of them. Right. So what in the world, well, what do you think? As well, a younger person, I, what do you think about Donald Trump's Well, I think you got to put a little asterisk by all your statements about how free trade is good. Okay. It's fair free trade. Say. So that's the that's Throw an asterisk. a little wrench in it. Is that kind of like the same asterisk that maybe... Barry Bonds has uh, in in the record books with his with his home run. Same type of same type of thing. Guess you could say so. <laughs> it's a pretty bad analogy. Do you think? Not the best. But <laughs> for all intents and purposes. Well, it works. I, you know, in a lot of ways that you're absolutely right. While the United States has always preached free trade, uh, obviously there are a lot of people that would argue that some of the people that we have been trading at least somewhat freely with have not been trading necessarily fairly. Now, while the trade has arguably been free on most goods and services, there have been other barriers to entry that have been very difficult for the United States to overcome, particularly its, its, its exporters. And uh, you would some would argue that it's not necessarily the, – the Trump administration is not necessarily trying to enter into a trade war, a la like the Smoot-Hawley tariff right. and, the, and the Great Depression, which came a, a different different ball of wax no matter how much people want to try to compare the – compare the two. But maybe, I don't know, Sam, you you and I have talked about, maybe Trump administration is starting the negotiations for more fair trade? That's what it sounds like to me. That's at least how I'm taking it. I don't, I, think, I don't think anyone wants a trade war as the end, end result. Well, I think you're, I mean, I would imagine. I think everybody wants an end, ends to it. They're just kind of wanting to save face and get to a point where they can go back to their people and say they they did their best, they did what they could, and overall their country's in a better place because of it. Well, and and that's you bring up the term saving face, which I think is very key here, incredibly key, Um, and particularly with the Asian economies. Um, I mean, seriously, um, that uh, the the Asian concept of saving face might be a little bit stronger 
um, than perhaps ours is here. Sure. And, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, the new NAFTA, um, and we've seen how Mexico kind of, it's hard to say gave in, but kind of was willing to negotiate first, then Ottawa came second, and yet we still have the tensions with, with China. So why do you think Mexico and Canada would be so eager to come to some come to the table much much more rapidly and negotiate more on America's terms than say the Chinese are? Well, I think it's pretty obvious in the fact that when you're looking at the different style of government in between what Mexico and Canada are, first of all, um, China is able to withstand any negative pressure a little more than those other two are. Also, um, I, I don't know what's the percentage of how many. Uh, of our imports and exports are from mm-hmm. Mexico and China? Well, I mean, I guess the point that you're getting at is uh, trade with the United States is a much bigger percentage of Mexican GDP and certainly can, can, can right. Canadian GDP than what it is for China. Sure. But even so, trade with the United States is still very important for the Chinese. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, so I don't think that they want to see something dreadful happen there. I would tell you that I think there's several things going on here. One, I believe they're a lot of a lot of people are very clever. They'll just simply export stuff to Vietnam, and then or Cambodia or, or Thailand or some other place, and then right. end up re-exporting. That, obviously, that's a little bit it increases the cost, but maybe not to the same amount as a tariff. But then there is the concept of, of saving face. Now, if Donald Trump comes out like a New York real estate developer and starts the negotiations at kind of a bellicose manner, which people would say that he did then how does that strike Beijing, where the concept of saving face is, is, is paramount? I mean, it's just, it's just enormous. Yeah, much they bigger need than it. Much bigger. I mean, the Communist Party needs it. Xi needs it. I mean, it's, it's all part of it. I would imagine it's going to take a little bit more than just, okay, we keep on raising the antes with the Chinese right. uh, than, it, than it did with the Mexicans and the Canadians, who, you know, everyone wants to be respected. But at the same time, you know, the Chinese, I don't see how Xi can give in. No. Though with with the way that maybe it's been handled up into the no, it's not going to end with them waving the white flag. No, I mean there's going to be some give and some take on both sides, and um, it'll be interesting to see where <laughs> where they finally come to an agreement. You know, I think probably some of the most interesting uh, conversations we, we going on in Washington right now are the people in the State Department going. Oh my gosh! I got to deal with this now. <laughs> I've got to go and deal with Beijing now on this. So I would imagine, regardless of the president's tweets, and regardless of what the official Chinese um, news news agency says, I would imagine there's probably a lot of dialogue going on between the various State Departments. Sure. Saying, okay, listen, why don't we deal with this as opposed to listening to uh, the people who are actually in charge? I don't know. I mean, I've, I don't. I don't have the inside track on that, but that seems to make the most sense because why? I think we might. I think we. I don't think we're going to be trading perspectives here. I think we'll both be, be, be on the same page. Why would the president risk a global economic slowdown, or why would Xi be willing to risk a significant disruption in the Chinese economy just because of ego? Right. I know intellectual intellectual property has been a real big issue for the United States. Yeah. And for good reason. I think that's a big part of what I was talking about when I say fair free trade. You know, um, you see all these knockoffs, all these lookalikes being sold in China over here um, that, I mean, we're losing billions and billions of dollars in our economy because of it. Well, it's it's not just in our economy. From what I understand, once a movie leaves um, a U.S. production facility, 
or company. It is copy, It is pirated and uh, copied and ready for consumption in China almost immediately. Oh, and all over the world. So like, you know, all of South America, Europe. And interestingly enough, and Sam, you you probably a little bit more in touch with with the technology than I. Interestingly enough, the Chinese have not tried to steal trading perspectives yet. Your thoughts on that? I think it's coming soon. We got to be on the lookout. And then that's when I get upset. That's when it gets real. That's when it gets real. It's going to be on. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong or something along those lines. But you might not even know what Donkey Kong is. I do. <laughs> so, so in terms of in terms of trade, I have told plenty of people this, and I've made a lot of economic presentations, and I've, I've already sort of touched on that. And I think uh, I think you would agree. I, I would hope that all of this bluster, and I think a lot of bluster coming out of Washington for those people with big Trump supporters. It is. I am sorry. It's. A lot of bluster. The bluster is a negotiating tactic that has worked very well for for the Donald up through this point in his career. Right. However, statecraft is a lot different than real estate negotiations on Manhattan or, or what have you. Sure. And a lot there's a lot more ego involved, uh, and there's a lot more prestige involved uh, than, get- than it would be with. You know, maybe some more commercial real but estate. But I guess deals. you could say he's the top dog in both of these instances. He is the top dog in both these instances. But if you're taking a look at like Xi, and taking a look maybe at some like some other uh, leaders, they while they have skin in the game, it's more indirect than it would be say Donald the Trump coming in and trying to negotiate with someone over a piece of property in right. a swampland. They're trying to the other side of that transaction is trying to make money too for themselves, trying to line their pockets. Which requires, you want to come and negotiate pretty hard? That's fine. As long as I can make some money, I'm willing to negotiate with you. However, when the money is indirect, like it would be for a president or a premier or some other head of state, the money's only indirect. All of a sudden, the impetus there, the financial incentive to negotiate the way that Donald Trump has always negotiated might not be there to the same degree as it would be for someone that's, that can directly make a buck. I guess so. So that's kind of what I think. That's kind of what I think. Part of the problem is the world is just not used to seeing a politician uh, behave this way. Oh, I don't think there's many instances like it. <laughs> and so, and so, some it fires some Americans up. It, it turns a lot of other Americans off. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, you tell me this. I mean, you, you you tell me this. I mean, you're in touch with a younger population, much easier than I. Um, do people your age, when, if, if they do talk about the what, USMCA and they, and they talk about this, do they view that as a victory for the administration? I think everyone has. And so, it seems like people on both sides of the aisle have really seen this as a positive thing. Yeah, so do you think that gives Washington and the administration leverage with Beijing? Because I would argue that really is almost mutually exclusive. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So... Then that takes us, if we agree that with, with that about the Chinese, the Chinese will probably be more willing to wait it out or ride it out for as long as possible until both sides can save face. Then let's take it back over the Atlantic. And what does this mean for the threats we've made with the EU? Well, it'll be interesting, before we move on to that, it'll be interesting to see, you know, with the independence of the Federal Reserve here. Yeah not really the same in China. They kind of control the Federal Reserve and the government, so it'll be interesting to Did see. Did you just say that the Chinese control the Federal Reserve? The uh, Federal Bank of China. <laughs> okay, fair, fair But enough. it'll be interesting to see that they can work in tandem more so than 
uh, our Federal Reserve does when these tariffs and these eventual impacts of them occur. Yeah, it will be interesting to see whether or not even our nominally independent uh, central bank, whether or not they, they will even take any of this into consideration. I don't think they'll take much of it into I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. And you and I have talked about this. I, th- I truly believe if you were to get Jerry Powell, uh, get a couple of shots of fireball on him, um, if, he, if he'll have fireball, which probably is a low-brail type of boost for him. But if you were to get a few in him, and say, what is your goal here? And he'd probably say, listen, I'm not really paying attention to the dots that they throw up on the screen. No one really paying attention to it. We've got to, that's our homework. We've got to pretend like we're doing it. We'd like to get to 3% on the overnight lending target. Right. And we'd like to get to 3% and, and then just take it from there. Uh, irrespective of anything going on with China, anything going on with EU, anything going on with Brexit, they believe the U.S. economy is strong enough now to maintain an overnight lending target that is at least a percentage point or thereabout higher than what future um, inflationary expectations are. Right. So I would argue, I mean, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this concern over trade barriers and how it's Im- how it will impact not only U.S. GDP but global economic growth it's really almost more of a political sideshow because the global central the central bankers probably aren't paying a ton of attention to the bluster on, in the Twitter space. Well, it's, it hasn't seemed to have much of an effect so far. It doesn't seem to. GDP is strong. Yeah, well, Future I mean, growth is strong. We're still going to have to wait and see what third, what third sure. quarter is. And I would imagine we'll probably see a slowdown compared to second quarter because second quarter was, was – It'd be hard. Well, yeah, it'd be hard not to. Was, was, pre, was pretty robust. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, where the, where the rubber meets the road by the time the uh, dust settles and the smoke clears until I would imagine anyone, particularly at the Federal Reserve, until they v- see anything that's going to be detrimentally – I mean, very quantifiably detrimentally impacting – the U.S. economy due to trade wars or trade barriers or you know, dev- sudden sharp decrease in trade negatively impacting GDP. Until they start seeing that, I would imagine it's all systems go, at least as far as their their intent to alter Definitely. monetary policy moves Definitely. forward. So that then takes us to kind of the ultimate question, what is the purpose of these trade barriers? Or the, the threats of trade war. Is it getting to a fair uh, rate of trade, negotiating tactics? Is it going to have any sort of true economic impact? Or is it really kind of more political grandstanding? I'm going to have to ask you on that. I think it will have a little impact. Okay. In the long term, I think getting those uh, trade agreements to what we would consider a little more fair, get those, um, whether it be with China, whether it's the new USMCA deal. Yeah. Um, the tariffs weren't the end goal. It's the better trade deals that were the end goal. I got you. Well, well, then we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we trust, say, Beijing? Do we trust Mexico City? Do we, do we trust um, any, I mean, Ottawa's, any, any other uh, foreign country to enforce the negotiations that they hammer out with the United States ultimately? I think so. I trust them a little bit. USMCA a little more than China right now, but <laughs> we I guess we'll see how that goes going forward. I yep. mean, once the agreement is reached, we'll see. It, it will be interesting to see because going back to one of the things I started off with, for 30 years we've been talking about free trade. Right. And I mean, and we seem as though our trade negotiators have gone out of their way to enforce. I mean, to try to get free trade as much as possible, even to the detriment of some of our exporters as foreign countries were, you know, put up barriers of their own and were nominally free in a lot of ways. But all of a sudden we have here this, here we have in 2018, 
something going on where we're not talking about free trade any longer. And people aren't as concerned about it, frankly, as I think they would would have been four or five years ago. Well, I think trade has been a little, like you kind of mentioned, I think our trade agreements have been abused a little bit with some of these other countries, and it's just gone by without really much notice over several generations, several decades. Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, I guess uh, we say that the trade trade negotiations, the threats of tariffs, barriers, wars, whatnot, might be ushering in, not ushering, but signaling or heralding a new world order. I think it could be a higher future level of prosperity from these, from the tariffs that we have currently. Globally or here in the United States? Could or be both. globally. I think definitely here, but it'll be interesting to see how those agreements, whenever they are reached, how they affect China, U.S. Well, you're probably right. In the meantime, we have uh, friends and neighbors and clients that are in the in- import or export business that are trying their darndest to figure out what's in the magic eight ball, the crystal ball, the tea leaves and what have you. And I wish I could wish I could give them a good timetable on when um, Beijing in particular and ultimately Brussels will sit down with Washington and, and hammer out a deal. Uh, I and, I, will, and I guess Britain now. Uh, I guess Britain, but I've, I've, I've a pretty good feeling. I'm not worried about I'm that. I'm not worried about that terribly much. Uh, we'll sit down and, and hammer out some kind of deal. Uh, in the meantime, inventories are going to be real interesting to, to uh, finance. And uh, at the, I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what this uh, next quarter or the next couple of quarters will do to uh, income statements, particularly for those multinationals that depend more on international trade. I'm with you, interesting. But up till then, I'm still. I mean, you know, if, here at Oakworth Capital Bank, we're still not terribly worried that trade barriers, trade wars, are going to have an overall detrimental impact on the U.S. economy enough to alter monetary policy or to cause a sudden sharp shift in asset allocation. Couldn't say better. Well, there you have it. Well, that's that's really kind of it, what we're talking about here today. A little trade wars is on a lot of people's minds. Um, might seem like we're being cavalier, but there's nothing out there yet to suggest that we are seeing any sort of major fissures in the uh, economic expansion that we've had for the last, you know, I mean, well, really for the last decade, but the sudden acceleration that we've had. Uh, here thus far in 2018. So until we start seeing some of that, um, gosh, it's kind of hard to lose sleep over this. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't lost sleep over this. Uh, not yet, but I, t- I tend to sleep uh, sleep pretty well at night. So there you have it here today, Train Perspectives. We mostly agree again on a lot of stuff. Sam, I mean, at some point we're going to have to find something that we truly disagree upon. Might be a little difficult. <laughs> I guess so. Based on the odds so far. Well, based on the odds, and that's all we're doing, playing the odds. And the odds say not to worry. Uh, but, guys, thank you so much for listening. We always love to hear from you. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. You can always send a email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com or, or leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. As always, please tell your friends, neighbors, and loved ones that you've heard something kind of different, kind of new in terms of economic podcasts and refer Trading Perspectives to them. If you don't like what you hear, please uh, refer Trading Perspectives to people that you don't like terribly much. If you're interested in hearing more of what we have to say or how we view the world and how we structure client portfolios and their finances, please, by all means, go to our website, oakworthcapital.com. And look underneath the thought leadership menu tag and find our blog common sense as well as other media economic analysis and with that i'm john norris your host i'm sam clement y'all have a great day